You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Last week we were in uh, the Gospel of Luke and we saw Jesus say uh, things like, out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. And he began to teach us what it looks like uh, to actually build our homes upon the rock. He teaches us that those who hear my words and actually do them, they are the ones that uh, go and build a house and they plant their foundation upon the rock. So there's this idea of hearing and then actually doing. Uh, Jesus makes a, a great point for us to understand. And so uh, I talked about some ways to practically begin to do this for us because I know uh, a question that we have, uh, men, like when we talk about leading spiritually, it's like, all right, what does that mean? Um, and I said simply first start with, with involving God in the conversation. So we want to involve God in our conversations with our kids and with our wife. And every day we want to involve him in our conversations. Uh, I went on to say that we're going to uh, make church a priority. So Sundays we're going to go to church. It's just who we are. It's going to be a part of our culture. It's part of our DNA as a family. This is just what we're going to do. And then finally I said we want to show our families uh, that it's fun to serve God. And so it's fun to serve him. It's, t- it's fun to talk about the things of the Lord. If you came to the marriage conference, I hope that you had fun. We laughed a ton. And um, you know, it's fun when we uh, seek the Lord and when we serve the Lord. I also talked about um, the idea of, of legalistic Christianity. And that's where we set up a bunch of rules in our house. And, and so um, w- we focus more on rules and less on relationship. And anytime uh, there are rules without relationship, it leads to, remember, Rebellion. Yeah, it leads to rebellion. And so we want to make sure that, of course, there are going to be rules in our house. But at the same time, we're going to be um, very, very intentional about building that relationship with our kids so that they know the why behind those things. And it's not just rules. Um, And then I also talked about lukewarm Christianity and the fact that uh, that just simply means like we are Christian in name. But we're not really concerned with the glory of God and seeking Him in our life. We're just interested in calling ourselves a Christian. We're not interested in actually doing anything for the Lord. And so we want to stay away from the legalism. We want to stay away from the lukewarm. And we want to build our house upon the rock. Um, Now, I'm curious before we get going today, how many of you have ever had your car or your house or maybe you personally uh, were robbed? stolen, somebody robbed or something, you know, yeah. So several of us, when I was in high school, I remember my car got robbed. And then again in college, it got robbed, broken into, back window and, you know, smashed out. And you get in your car and you just feel violated, don't you? You're just like, man, it's just like, this is my car and somebody was in it. They took my stuff and just makes us mad and makes us upset. And, and uh, my house actually got broken into um, not long ago. I, and I just want to tell a quick story. Like um, one night, it was like 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, and um, I'm dead to the world, you know, in la-la land, right? And uh, we have an alarm, and so when the alarm uh, goes off, before the siren goes off, there's like a 15-second loud beeping noise, okay? So the 15-second beeping noise, and then the huge loud siren. So we're laying there in bed, this beeping sound goes off, and you know what you do when something like that in the middle of the night happens. It's like, oh, oh my gosh, what's going on? You know, and it's like registers that the alarm is beeping. And so I turn to Micah and I say, Micah, go check it out. See what's going on. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. So, so we realize it's the alarm. All right. So I'm jumping up to, jumping out of bed and I'm headed to my door and I'm like, okay, wait a minute. 
quick inventory of my weapons in my house, all right, before I go out and see what's about to take place. I'm like, all right, number one, number two, I've got Smith and I've got Wesson here, but I better go back and get Mr. Glock as well. So I go back, I get the Glock, it's cocked, locked, ready to rock. And so here we go. I'm at the door and I'm straight going gangster, all right? So I'm kill shot. I'm, ki- I'm not, uh-uh, I'm kill shot. You come in my house, it's on like Donkey Kong, all right? So I'm at the door, the door opens, you know, and I'm straight, you know, I'm giving the SWAT team. <laughs> Boom, clear, all clear, all right? Coming in, as soon as I get to the living room, I'm, I'm still giving this. Now, interesting, from that living room, from right, right where I was at, I can see the garage door, okay, that goes, the door that goes into our garage, Okay, so as I'm making my way into the living room, doing the high step, checking, and of course, heart pumping, legs a little wobbly, you know, intense adrenaline pumping, you know, through my veins, you know. And so I'm doing this, I walk through, and I see the garage door swing open. When I saw the garage door swing open, I was calm and cool and collected. No, I was not. I was, I was freaking out internally, right? But I'm, I'm, I'm walking, so I'm thinking... Somebody is potentially in my garage, all right? And so, so the alarm is, is, is going off. So it's huge, loud you know, noise here. And here I am walking to my house with a gun in the middle of the night. So it's, it, it's, it's get, getting close to the door here. And right when I get to the door, the cat, just like a movie, I'm telling you, just like a movie, the cat runs through the door. My instincts point at the cat and I shoot the cat right in the head. And it was, no, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. I got carried away in, in, in the story. That didn't happen. Um, I, I enjoy the cat. I love the cat. So, but the cat did run into the house and scared me to death. All right? And so then I did the all clear in, in the garage, and we were good. We did the check, and uh, it was just the cat pushing his little paws and, and pushing the door open, which set the whole thing off. However, I tell the whole story to know Uh, That as men, guys, you can relate to the fact that if somebody is coming up in your crib, it's on, right? I mean, everybody, we live in Blount County, all right? I know y'all are packing. You guys are probably packing right now. I know you're packing at the house. And so, you know, this, this this is real. So like when it comes to our house, we're going to protect our house, aren't we? I mean, you're coming up in here, my fam. It's, it's not going to be pretty, all right? And so that's just kind of how we are as men. It's kind of in our DNA. We're going to protect our wife. We're going to protect our kids. And see, the reality is what I want you guys to think about today is that in the Bible, Jesus says that the enemy, he comes and wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So what that means for you men is like the enemy, the devil, the father of lies, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy your marriage. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy your children. And he'll do anything, and he'll do everything he can to get his foot into the door of your home. And he will rob you blind. He will steal, and he will lie. And if you are not careful, men, he will destroy your family. Now, the good news is we don't have to be afraid of him because the same power that conquered the grave lives in us. And so I'm not, I'm not like scared of him, but I'm prepared for him and I'm ready to bow up and I'm ready to get pumped up because I am going to protect my family. 
That's just who we are. And, and, and so what we see in our society, though, it's interesting. Like in culture, you'll get praised for protecting your kids physically. So like you'll put a helmet on, headgear on, elbow pads, knee pads, shin pads, rear end pads. I don't know. Just to send your kids out to get the mail. You know, it's like, you're going to get the mail, get your helmet on, you know. It's like, we didn't do that growing up. I didn't have to wear a helmet growing up. We, we hit our head on the concrete and got a cut and we liked it, you know. <clears throat> it's like, we didn't, we didn't have to worry about that. But if you like load your kids up on the bodysuit and did the helmet and the whole deal, get the goggles, you know, just in case a bug flies in your eye, you know, whatever it is, you'll get praised. However, if you begin to start protecting your children or your family morally, or spiritually, you're going to get talked about. They won't let their kid go to the dance. How silly is that? It's just a dance. You'll get, you'll get called out. You'll get whispered about. They won't let their kids go see that movie. Can you believe that? They don't let their kids have an iPod. They won't let their kids listen to that kind of music. They're crazy. You'll get criticized when you begin to protect your family morally, their character You'll begin to become criticized if you begin to protect them spiritually. And so just as I was robbed physically, some of you were robbed physically. I believe that the enemy would rob you and would steal from you and wants to destroy everything good that God wants to do in your life. So this is a very real battle. So the title and the idea today is for us to understand what does it look like to protect our house. Last week in Luke 6, verse 45, Jesus says, For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So in other words, whatever is in my heart comes out is revealed by what I say. So in the Bible, when we see the word heart, it's the the Greek word cardio. So we get our word cardiac, and this gives us this idea. It's like an illustration of uh, my motives my thoughts, my behaviors, uh, my words, it all comes out of and from my heart. So, so what I'm saying is revealing what is inside my heart. Now, here's what the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. You can read this later. Just listen to this. The Bible says, this is God saying, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So, so what's the advice that your neighbors are giving you about your relationship with your wife or the relationship that you have you know, with your kids? And, and what they're going to say is, oh, just follow your heart. You know, if it feels right, your heart, you're going to know it. You know, if it feels good, do it. If it feels good to you, then it's right for you. And then, you know, that's going to work for you. But, but when we look at God's word, we can't trust our heart. Because our hearts, the Bible says, is desperately sick. Our hearts are filled with, with evil. They are desperately sick and, and deceitful. So we can't trust our hearts. It'll lie to us. Our conscience will lie to us. It'll trick us because of our sin nature. And so we have to, in fact, do something through the power of God only does this happen. But it's a renewing of our heart, a renewing of our mind. And so I want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and to see exactly what, uh, uh, he's, what, what God would, would, would speak to us about this morning, uh, specifically as we think about protecting our house. Let's look. Let's go ahead and look at verse 17, the ending of that, just to kind of get a a, a proper context here. It says that 
um, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So he's saying you're a believer now, but some of you are potentially walking as if you're not a believer. You're a believer, you, you, you say you follow Jesus, but you're potentially walking as if you're just a normal uh, non-Christian, okay? <clears throat> Verse 18, here's what he says. They are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. So there's a darkening that has come over them. There is an alienation from the life that God wants them to experience because of this darkening. And because of their ignorance, it's hardened their heart due to the hardness of their heart. Verse 19, they have become callous. They have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learned. So here's the deal. So there's a darkening going on. Okay, how many of you guys have ever gone to a movie and it's been a pretty day like today, the sun's out and you were a little bit late, the movie's already started and you walk in and you can't see, you know? And you're like trying to find your seat and you're like, I can't see anything, where do you want to sit? Hide the candy that we just smuggled in, we don't want to get caught, you know? So you're trying to find, don't lie, so you do it. You go to Target and then you go. So we're, we're in the dark and, you know, popping open the can, like looking around. Um, and so... It's dark, your eyes haven't adjusted, and you can't see. But after a few minutes, your body and, and your eyes, they adjust. That's how our body works. Our eyes adjust, and now we can see in the darkness. And so the, the, the idea for us is that as we walk in this world, is it possible that some of you, even though you call yourself a believer, your mind has been darkened to the things of the Lord? In other words, you can't see very clearly the things of God around you. And because of your ignorance, I don't know what the Bible says. I'm not following the Bible. I'm not, you know, because of the darkening in my heart, I, I, I'm not enjoying the things that God would want me to experience. So I'm not enjoying them. I'm not experiencing them. And it all stems from this idea that my heart and my mind has been darkened. I cannot see God around me because of my Heart. Here's what he says. As a result of the ignorance, as a result of the fact that you can't see around you, here's what happens. The hardness of your heart begins to happen, and he says they become callous. They become callous. So in other words, we become insensitive to the things of God. We don't see God. We don't hear from God. Uh, the things that uh, used to bother us, maybe, don't bother us any longer. Some of you guys work out, you lift weights, you know, you're doing the bench press, whatever, you work out in the uh, yard or whatever, you work with your hands. And so, you know, when you do that for a while, when you first start, it maybe hurts your hands and, you know, a little sore. But then over time, the way that your body responds to that is uh, you build up calluses. You know, you're doing the bench press for a while and all of a sudden, next, you know, a few weeks go by and now you've got some calluses and the bench doesn't hurt you so much anymore. Same with, you know, any kind of working with your hands. A, a callus prevents the pain. And that's how our body naturally responds. And so what tends to happen in the life of a believer sometimes is maybe the, the, you know, the language, the foul language used to bother us or, you know, looking at things that we shouldn't look at used to bother us. But, but now, you know, after a little bit by little bit, it maybe not overnight, but it's like day after day or year after year, eventually we become callous and, and we don't, it doesn't bother us anymore. And so we're not as sensitive to, to the sin that is around us. And so when we talk about fighting and protecting our house, we want to protect our house and keep our house pure 
But what happens is, as we become desensitized to the, to the sin around us, in our ignorance, we dull ourselves of the pain and of the sin. Now, think about it this way. Some of you, you know, maybe you were hurt. You, you went through a bad relationship, uh, maybe a divorce, and someone hurt you. And because of that hurt, you, not intentionally, I mean, you didn't write a book and say, here's what I'm going to do to harden my heart or to build a callus. But it just naturally happened. And the, and the natural thing that happened because of the hurt and pain of that relationship, you hardened your heart and you allowed your heart to become calloused. Why? Because you felt like it was the natural thing that was going to protect you from future pain, just like a callous. And so I'm not going to be open and honest in any other relationship like I was in that one, because when I was open and honest, it backfired, it hurt me. And so now I'm going to build a wall around my heart. I'm not going to be open and honest. I'm just going to learn how to be fake and and learn how to just get by. Nobody's going to know what I'm really going through, because if I put myself out there again, I might go through some pain again, and I definitely want to go through that. And you can multiply that and think of other examples in your own life of how you allowed your heart to develop a calloused hardness. And he says that's a result of your mind being darkened. And then he also says, and they've given themselves up to sensuality. Sensuality. So, so any form of premarital sex, any form of, of sex outside of God's design between a man and a woman who enjoy that uh, relationship together for the duration of their relationship, anything outside of that sexually is sin. And he says, because of the darkening of your mind, you're allowing yourself to get involved in all these premarital acts and all these extracurricular deals physically. And it's leading you to some very dark places. Listen, young people, like, like you think that what you do today is not going to affect tomorrow. I get that. I'm, I'm not that old. I remember how I used to think and what, what used to go down. And, and it's like, you know, I, I never really thought about, you know, what, what was happening in my future. And, and if I had known that you were coming along, I wouldn't have done the things that I did. Bruno Mars, anybody with me on that? You want to start singing? You're with me. All right, good. <clears throat> it's a great song. Love it. So like, it's like, well, I have to realize that. Like, I, I, I can't allow the darkening of my mind to lead me into sensuality, to premarital out, extracurricular activities, guys, because I'm going to carry that into my marriage. I'm going to carry that baggage, and then I'm going to have to uh, unpack that baggage with my spouse and then with my kids, and it's never going to leave. It's just going to be there. And, and so we, we've got to be very careful. And anybody that's single today, I would, I would encourage you to take this um, very, very seriously. Uh, sensuality, hardness of your heart, the darkening of your mind is going to lead to that. Another result is that you're going to become greedy. You're going to be greedy. So I want everything from me. I want everything from me. And, and it says specifically here that we're going to be greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So in our house, I mean, my encouragement for you is to fight for your house and protect your house and protect the purity of your house. And here the darkening of our minds is going to lead to further and further impurity. So it's like, how, how do we stop this? How do we stop this from happening in our families, men? How do we stop this from happening in our marriage? He continues. He says, but this is not the way you learned. That's not the way of Jesus, in other words. He's assuming that we've heard about Jesus and we were taught about him as the truth is in Jesus. It's a very short little phrase there in that verse, but what a huge reality that in Jesus we have truth. Okay, verse 22. And so he says, because we're in Jesus, we have the truth. He says to put off your old self which belongs to the former manner of life. 
He says, all this stuff up here, the callousness, the darkening, the sensuality, the impurity, all that stuff is the old you. All that stuff is what you used to do. That's before Christ. And he says, that's not the manner of life that you should be living today. You're different today. He says, put off that old you. That old you is allowing the enemy to steal, kill, and rob you of your joy today. Realize that today. Belongs to the former manner of life. is corrupt through deceitful desires. In verse 23, and he says, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So how do you, how do you overcome this darkening? Well, we ask the Holy Spirit to renew our minds. Does Pastor Trent renew our minds? Okay. Does Pastor Trent renew our minds? No. Does any pastor, does any spouse, does any small group leader renew our minds? No. That is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. So I need to pray about it. I mean, God, you need to renew my mind. I'm praying that you would change my mind. Verse 24, and to put put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness, which means, okay, I know a lot of men, you know, maybe we don't like to read or maybe we, I don't understand the Bible. I get that. I used to to say the same thing, but here's the deal. You're never going to understand it if you don't read it. And then when I, every time I open up the, the word of God, you know, this is my prayer. Like I want this to be my prayer every time. Like God, reveal to me what I need to hear from you today. Reveal to me anything that is in my heart that is impure. Reveal to me what this says. You know, because it's the work of God that reveals what this book says and how to apply it to my life. It's a work of God. And I, I mean, I dare you to pick up this book and to start reading it and to say that prayer before you do it. Because I, I promise you, if you're sincere, God will reveal some amazing things to you. He'll reveal to you how potentially the devil has a foothold or, or, or a foot in the, in the door and he's getting into your house. And, and sometimes it's not the front door that, that he's kind of got his you know, foot into, but he's coming in the form of you know, what's on your TV screen, what you're allowing yourself to see and to watch and to laugh at. It's, a, it, it, it's through the music. It's through other you know, mobile devices, iPads, those kinds of things through the internet that are filtering through your house that lead to all kinds of impurity and all kinds of uh, things that would ruin and steal your joy in your life. We don't want to be like that. Now in our lives and our families, we love them. We want to protect them. We want to guard our marriages. I know, I mean, in your heart, you want to protect your children and so honestly, we would never do anything to, to hurt our kids intentionally. At least I think that's where most of us are. Like we wouldn't give our, our babies a bottle with poison in it and say, oh, here, have a drink. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't tell our kids to, to jump into a pool and swim if it had a bunch of sharks in it. We wouldn't do that. Here, kids, go swim. There's sharks. Watch out. We wouldn't do that. And yet, listen to me, we'll let a 14-year-old daughter go on a car date with some hairy leg, pubescent, testosterone-filled boy and just go on a date by themselves. Listen, I'm telling you, I used to be that kid. You didn't want me around your daughter. I don't care how good your son is. I don't want him near my daughter. (laughs) You know, definitely not in a car. Definitely not at 14. You know, maybe not 15. Definitely not at 15. Definitely not, you know, 16. And then after that, I'll consider it. All right, I'll consider it and I'm going with you, you know. <clears throat> the only way it's going to happen, you know, at that age is, is group dating. 
Because here's the problem. We put our kids in the shark tank when we do that. Men, you got to protect your daughters. you got to care about that. I know she's going to yell and get mad and say all the other kids are doing it. But it's not until she's, you know, 28, 29, 30. It's not until you're walking her down the aisle that she's going to look you in the eyes and say, thank you, Dad. I mean, that's the moment you got to look at and dream about, <laughs> right? You know, we'll let our, you know, we'll, we'll let our 12, 13-year-old son have free access to an iPod or iPad with the internet. And, you know, he has the freedom at any time he wants to download every single image that he never needs to see. And he'll have complete access. Folks, that's throwing your kids in the shark tank. You know, we, we do these things and, and we, I don't think we're as, as careful as we need to be. We'll let them watch whatever they want to watch and listen to whatever they want to listen to. And I'm telling you guys, you got to fight for purity in your family. you got to fight for purity in your marriage. And that really starts with us. Because how often do we allow ourselves to watch things and interact with things that simply break the heart of God? And then we want to try to hold our kids up to a higher standard. It just doesn't work. They see through that hypocrisy. It doesn't work. And, 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 and our, our advice from our neighbors is just follow your heart. What am I supposed to do with my kid? He's going crazy or he's doing this. And it's like, well, just follow your heart. You're going to know what to do. And it's like, no, the Bible says my heart is wicked and deceitful. I don't want to follow my heart. I want to follow Jesus. You know, I want to follow what God wants me to do. And how many times have you heard couples, you know, who are going through a hard time? And it's like, you know, I, follow, I just want to follow my heart. And I just followed my heart because she was, she was so good looking and we had an affair. And, 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 and I just followed my heart because, you know, he made me laugh and it led me to this. And it's like, you know what? Don't follow your heart. Don't follow your conscience. It'll lie to you. And for those of us that, for those of you that aren't married today, you're single, whether you're, you know, in school at some point or, or maybe just, um, you're, you just got a career and you're single at this point. Here's what we've got to remember. Like it doesn't, sometimes we think that it doesn't matter what we, what we do when we're single because it doesn't affect anybody around us. It doesn't directly affect anyone around us because we're not married. So we think I can sleep who I want to sleep with. I can drink what I want to drink. I can go where I want to go. I can do what I want to do because it's not hurting a spouse and it's not hurting any kids because I don't have any. So if you're in college, if you're single, you got to realize this, like, like what you do today is packing the bag into your suitcase and, and, and that is the baggage that you're going to carry into your future potential family that will follow you all throughout and that you're going to have to deal with and, and, and work through with a spouse. And so it's, it's so huge. And we've got to understand this, like you cannot build a foundation of faith on a foundation of sin. You just can't do it. I mean, we all often think, well, once I get through this stage uh, of my life, then I'm going to get right with God. Once I get through this phase, then, then I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to go where, you know, God wants me to go. But right now I'm just kind of, you know, having fun and, and everybody else is kind of doing this. And so, you know, I'm trying to be careful and I want to go too far, but I'm just going to do this for a while. And then as I get older, you know, then, then I'll get right. And I'm just telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it never works. The things that you are experiencing now, the things that you are doing now will follow you for the rest of your life. And so we've got we've to realize that. And so, so here's, here's single people. Here's what sometimes we, we looked at and what we do as, as, as single. We, like, uh, we listen to movies, we, we read books, and it's all about finding the one, right? I cannot wait to find the one. 
You know, that one guy, ladies, that is going to meet your needs, he's going to be awesome. He's going to sweep you off your feet. It's just going to be like Edgar and, you know, it's just going to be amazing. Twilight, I couldn't remember her name. Belle, there it is. Edgar and Belle, is it Edgar or am I way off? Huh? Edward, good. Hey, point to know, your pastor did not know the name. So that's a good thing, all right? That's a good thing. Okay, all the men, you got me on that. So back to the point, we think about the one. I want want the one, you know? Guys, we're looking for that one girl. And the problem is the one isn't someone else. The one has to be Jesus. So Jesus says things like, Um, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so for me to read that verse, I realize that, that I've got to put God as my one, and then I will find my two. And then when I find my two, together we will seek the one. But I can never put someone in the place of one. If I do that, then I'm idolizing her. And if I idolize her and I put her up on the pedestal and she's so awesome and she's so amazing and she makes me laugh and we talk all the time and she meets all of my needs. Eventually what you're going to find, whether you're dating for a few months or whether you get married, is that this person that you've idolized does not in fact meet all of your needs. He has let you down. She will let you down every single time because in a relationship you are a sinner dating a sinner. If you're married, you are a sinner married to a sinner, and they will always let you down. Any person that I would hold up and idolize is idolatry. It's sin. And here's the, here's the rhythm that we get into. I idolize her. She's so awesome. She's organized. She knows what she wants. She's got vision. She's just awesome. Now that I've idolized her, I get married to her, and I realize what? She's a control freak. She won't leave me alone. She nagged me to death. You know, all of that driven stuff that you thought was cool is not so cool anymore. So what do we do? We idolize and then we demonize. Why? Because they aren't meeting my needs like they're supposed to. God is the only one who's going to meet your needs. You've got to seek the one, single folks. Seek the one because life is more about you becoming someone more than it is about you finding someone. And that'll change your life. That one truth as a single person, like God is more concerned about you becoming someone today, more than he is about you finding the someone that you are dreaming about. We hear it all the time, like, you know, we want to find, you know, ladies, we want to find a godly guy and a guy that seeks the Lord and a guy that does this and he's a leader and he loves Jesus. And then as a lady, you know, you're sleeping around and you're, you're hanging it out and you're clubbing it up and you're doing all these things. But in your mind is that's the kind of guy that you want to marry. Well, that is not the kind of girl he is looking for. So I've got to become the someone that God wants me to become and then Possibly God leads me to the right someone. But if you're never becoming the one that he is calling you to be, then how do you know that's ever going to work out? So it's huge as a single person to realize what I'm doing today matters. You've got to fight to protect your home. 
as a single person. Fight to protect your home today, right now. And let's acknowledge that just perhaps in our homes, our eyes have grown accustomed to darkness. Our hearts have potentially been hardened and calloused. And we don't even see the ways that, uh, of impurity that are a part of our lives today. And so how can we go against the flow? How can we get a Christ-centered home, building it upon the rock? We've talked about it quite a bit this morning, but I want to give you two thoughts today that I believe will help. So if we want to fight for our homes, fight for purity, protect our house, number one, if you're taking notes, you want to get your own heart right. Get your own heart right. I mean, that's, that's important. I mean, I can't work on my spouse's heart. God does that. I can encourage and love her. I can't change her. Only God can change her. And so it's not me pointing my finger at her, but I need to point the finger at my own heart and say, God, where are the impurities in my heart? What relationships in my life are causing harm to, to my marriage? What relationships are going on that are, are bringing me down and not lifting me up that I need to rid myself of? What are the thoughts that are going through my mind, God, that I need you to forgive me of? And what is going on around me that I need, God, for you to open up my eyes, my spiritual eyes, to see the impurity that is around me? Because I want to know what that is and repent and turn from that so that I can have all that God has for me. Like, I don't want a piece of it. Listen, you don't want just a piece of it. You want all of it. Because it's amazing. Every little piece that we see and that we experience, it's like, oh, this is amazing. I want more. I want more of Him. I want to follow more of Him. Proverbs 4.23 says it like, like this. He says, here's my best advice. Above everything else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. Protect your own heart. You want to protect your, your girls, fathers? You want to protect your sons? You protect your wife and your house? Guard your own heart. Keep it pure. Protect your eyes from what you watch, from what you see, from what you are allowing into your house. And that's step one, my friend. And, and that alone will be a great example for your kids. Number two, if you're taking notes, you want to parent <clears throat> your child's heart. You want to protect your house. It's important that you kind of switch gears from just parenting behavior modification to parenting to the heart. And so this is huge because what we focus on as parents a lot of times is just behavior. You did this, I discipline you for this. And we never truly really get to the heart of the matter, the heart or what I would call the why behind why our kids are acting and doing what they're doing. Gary Smalley says this, an author and, and um, guru on families. He says this, the beliefs of your heart usually come from your parents or you may pick them up from culture. Thus, we're likely to be as happy or unhappy as our parents were or as our culture is as a whole. So we just naturally like take on the heart of our parents. And so as we do that, as happy as they were or are kind of where we potentially could be, if we're not careful, if we have unhappy, you know, parents, then potentially you're unhappy today because that's just a natural thing that we adopt as children. I don't care how old you are. You know, if, as, as a child, you can do that. Your mom was a critical, nagging person. You probably, you know, might have picked up on that. Your father was negative or angry. And now, guess what? You're kind of negative and angry. And, and they never can be satisfied and happy. And so guess what? Kind of reigns in your heart today. And if it's not your parents, it's culture. 
So we've got to be very careful about guarding our hearts and, and understanding that when I parent my kids, I want to parent to their heart. And I understand this is, this is difficult. This is a concept that I'm still learning and growing through. But, but uh, your child's behavior is a reflection of what's in their heart. So we're talking about ourselves earlier, like what we do and say is a reflection of what's in our heart. And the same is true for our kids. Like what they are saying, what they are doing is a reflection of what's in their heart. So I'm not so much looking at the action or the behavior that I want to correct. Of course, I don't want them to act this way or to do something that is wrong. But in order to to get them to, to change from what they're doing, I've got to get to the heart. I've got to get to the why behind their actions. Okay, so here's a quick example. You've got five, six, seven-year-old kids, okay? And so uh, the, the, the scene plays out. This is not like from my house, so don't go up to my kids and say like, hey, your dad talked about you because that always makes them feel weird. So this is just a hypothetical thing. Of course, it probably happened at one point in our house and it happens at your house. But here's the point. Maybe your daughter, she finds a stuffed animal that she is, has lost and she's like, oh, there's my stuffed animal. And she's about to go pick up that long lost stuffed animal toy. And your son hears her and he says, aha, here's my moment to shine in glory and to have some fun with my sister. And so he gets up and he runs and he dives and lunges and he picks up the toy. And then ensues the tug of war fight and the screaming and the give it to me. It was mine. It's mine. Fight. You're downstairs minding your own business, having a lovely day. And then you hear the chaos upstairs. And so you're like, great, I've got to go solve this. So you charge up the steps. You see that they're fighting over the toy. And your first question is usually what? (laughs) Yeah, what's going on? Uh, Or potentially, who had it first? Okay, we're fighting about the toy. So you're going to say, all right, all right, all right. Who had it first? Why? Because I promise you, this is our nature. We tend to go to justice every time. Justice and what is right. What is right? Who had it first? I declare you the victor. I'm out of here. Parent of the year. And you walk back downstairs. Justice is, what is fair? We got to quit. This is a whole other sermon. But fair is not the question. Fair is the wrong angle when we parent, okay? Fair doesn't really exist, by the way. What you want to do instead of being fair is do the right thing. So my question is not what's fair. My question is well, what, what is the right thing? And so I'm quickly going to go to behavior and they're fighting. I want the fighting to stop and I want the person that had it first to have it now. That's justice. I feel good. But obviously you guys know the backstory. As a mom, when you go upstairs or dad, you didn't know that your son finagled the whole deal and ran and did that until I start asking questions. And so now that's getting to the heart of the issue. Why are we fighting? He took my toy. It's my toy. I had it first. I had it first. Did he have it first? Well, yeah, he had it first. If you're not careful, you'll walk away and say, all right, well, if he had it first, he gets it. So my first question to my son is, why do you want to play with a stupid stuffed animal? Be a man. That's my first instinct. (laughs) Unless you're about to rip his head off and blow it up with a firecracker, then I'm okay with that. You know? And so after we get through that, I want to say, why, seriously, I want to know, why do you want this so bad? And he's like, I don't know. Well, if you don't know, why did you take it? I don't know. I just thought I wanted to play with it. Like, do you see how upset your sister is? Yeah. Well, do you know it hurts her? Yeah. Is it her toy? Well, yeah. And so as I ask questions, now I'm getting more to the heart of the issue. Well, why did you come up here and, and take it? Well, she said she wanted it, and I'm just trying to have fun. Well, is it fun? 
Uh, I guess not. Not to be fun now, boy. You know, <laughs> I'll show you fun. I'm just kidding. Not really. I'll do that. I'm not afraid to spank a kid. Um, <clears throat> and, so, and so as I ask the why questions, I get to the heart. So that's my point. And so parents, that takes longer And so we've got to be willing to, instead of just run up the steps, solve the issue and run that back down, we've got to be, we've got to be more willing to get to the heart of the matter. Why are we fighting? Why are we screaming? Why are you taking things? Because ultimately your kids are sinners and they need to see that through every argument that they have, it points back to their sin. And if they are not taught how to admit that they have made a mistake, then we failed as parents. That is probably one of the most important things we can help them admit because it points us directly to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If they don't learn how to do that, then they will never be ready to accept Jesus into their life. I've got to be willing to say that I messed up. That's my first step in following Christ, isn't it? I've got to realize my need for a savior. I've got to realize that I'm not perfect, that I messed up, that this is wrong. And so I want my kids, I got to get to the heart of the issue here and, and help them see why it is that they're making these choices and why it is that they're causing these things uh, to happen in their life. If we're not careful, all we'll do is parent to behavior. Boy, tote the line. Don't step out. We're about to go to church. You better not mess up. Don't do this. Don't do that. And so then there's a culture of fear in your family. There's not a culture of relationship. There's not a culture of, uh, of, of, of communicating and talking. You tell your daughter she's not allowed to go to the party. What she, and she stomps into the room, slams the door, and she says, I hate you. And at that moment, you want to bust through that door and do some things, right? <laughs> but what you've got to do as a parent is learn that timing is everything. We talked about this in our marriage conference. Like when, when in conflict, timing is everything. And so I want to go when she's in a better place mentally. And then I want to talk about, babe, why, why would you say that? Because I was mad and right now you won't let me do anything around here. It's like, well, that's not exactly true, is it? And, and so, you know, mom and dad, we, we love you and we're, we're protecting you. And maybe it's hard to see right now, but I just want you to know that we do care about you. And what you said when you said I hate you, that breaks my heart. It makes me feel like a horrible mom. And I just want you to know how I feel And so now I'm getting to the heart. I'm not just yelling at her for saying that she hates me. I'm not just screaming because, you know, this is, she's not doing exactly what I want her to do. Now I'm getting to the heart of the matter, you know, where she can begin to share and I can begin to share and we can hug it out and we can cry it out. And it's at that moment that you realize that I'm not too bad at this, you know. But that's where you want to get to. That's where we want to live. That's what we want to honor. And so we want to get to the why and the what behind actions. And so that takes a little bit longer. Let me give you some practical ways to guard their hearts. And you know these, by the way. You know these. But if we're men going to protect our families, we've got to protect the media intake that they have. One of the things that we learned last month when we went through our, our uh, fast is we don't need as much media as we think we do. We went uh, that entire time without media. And it's like, so we don't need that. You know, and so how do we monitor that and how do we, you know, put up uh, the, the, the proper uh, things to protect our kids through those situations and through how we use that. But, but media is a huge thing. What are we watching on TV? What's our internet usage look like? What's our music look like? Um, we, we don't listen to anything but Christian music. And, and it's an it's a awesome thing to hear your kids sing about Jesus. So it's like when I was growing up, all we had 
was like, you know, Michael W. Smith and, and DC Talk. And it was like, that's lame, you know? It was no good. Today, we have amazing Christian artists. I mean, there is so much great music and positive music out there. We really don't, it's not a cool factor thing anymore, in my opinion. Like there's so much good, solid music out there as Christian. And I think we need to, we need to uh, take a look at that and encourage that in our families. And uh, obviously what friends are they, are, are they hanging out with and, and how are we going to protect them in that area? But, you know, guarding your house and protecting is not just about playing defense, like who's coming to the door? You know, it's not just defense. It's about offense. I'm an offensive player. I, I'm offensive minded. I'll play defense, but I like offense, you know, when I'm playing sports. And so, um, and, and offensively, spiritually is, is are, are things like how much are we pouring into them spiritually? How much are we, you know, praying with them and talking about God and, and doing that, uh, guys? And, and so the other thing is how are we positioning them in the right places? So, um, one of the great things about, you know, our ministry here is like my, my kids are, were in Kid Street earlier. And so they have a godly leader that's pouring into them. And, and so if you have a student in, in, in high school um, or middle school, and so on Wednesday nights they worship, they hear Bible teaching and great stuff and great music. And then they go to a small group where a godly leader is going to pour into their life. And here's the great thing about the godly leader in their life. They're going to say the same things that you are saying only their, your kids are going to listen to them. You experience this? Uh, no, you know, this happens all the time, but, you know, it's cold outside. And I tell my son, hey, you better get a coat on. It's cold outside before you leave. And he's like, it's not cold outside. I don't need a coat. Greg's over and Greg says, hey, Bryson, it, it's cold. You should probably get a coat. And he says, oh, okay, where's my coat, mom? I'm like, what? Why? I just said that. And, and it's because, you know, our kids, they'll listen to other people sometimes more than they will listen to you. And so for me as a dad, protecting them is not just, you know, let's huddle. You know, I've got you. Let's take a step. All right, wait. It's not just that. It's, it's like, all right, I want you guys to, to, to go here and have fun. And they're going to enjoy it. But I've got a godly leader there that's going to invest in their life and is going to pour into them. And that's huge. Uh, when I protect my kids, I want to put them in that uh, right place. And another great opportunity for you guys is to use Right Now Media. Uh, great uh, Bible studies on there and, and great talks from all kinds of great uh, pastors and leaders. Maybe do something like that with your teenager. Do something like that. There's a lot of kid things on there. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, go to our website, foothillschurch.com slash right now. You can sign in, get a username and password, and you have access to thousands of Bible studies that are great ways uh, to connect with your kids. Great speakers and, and, and great lessons on, on all kinds of issues. Uh, we've got great books in the cafe for your kids to read. It's not just a, you know, a books for you know, men and women. It's, it's great books for kids in there as well. And um, you know, this is huge. So all these things are part of what it means, I think, guys, to, to lead. And I'll close with this story. Um, how much impurity do you want to allow into your house? That's the question. It's like, do you want to crack the door open and let just a little bit in? Or are you okay with the door wide open for whatever? Or how much for you? Probably for most of us, we'd say, I want none, man. I want zero. Okay. So here's a story. Um, I heard the story of a, uh, he was uh, 12 years old and he wanted to go see a, a, a PG-13 movie. And he was trying to convince his mom that, hey, you know, mom, this, this movie, it's not that bad. There's only a little bit of violence. There's only some language in it. Please, mom, everybody's going. Please let me go. And her stance was, no, son, 
you're not going to this movie. And, and uh, he's all mad and upset. And she says, well, listen, how about I make it up to you by, by making you some brownies? And so she's like, okay, I'll take some brownies. And so what she does is she takes a spoon and she goes out into the backyard and she gets a, uh, just, a, just a little smidge, just a little spoonful of dog poop. Okay, and so... Um, <laughs> That's a funny word. I know kids love this story. Anytime you say poop at church, it's just a memorable moment. And so she just gets a little spoonful of dog poop. She comes back in and she makes the batter and, and she puts the dog poop in the batter and she mixes it up uh, in, in the food. Then she bakes the brownies and then she uh, serves her son the brownies. He's about to take a bite and she says, well, wait, son, before you eat the brownies, just want you to know that there's a little bit of dog poop in that. And of course, his response is, that's gross. I don't want dog poop. And she's like, no, seriously, seriously, there's just a little bit in there. There's just a smidge in there. So don't worry about it. And he's like, no, that's gross. I'm not going to do that. That's disgusting. And I don't think anybody in here would. So that's the question for us. You know, it's like, how much are we going to allow into our families? Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So for us, as we leave today, I just want to encourage you, like, like, where is your heart? Men, we've got to start with our own personal journey. What are we seeing? What are we watching? What are we allowing to come into our heart? And then we've got to parent our kids to their heart. Um, I, don't know where, I don't know where you are and kind of what you're going through, but, but it's time for you to make a difference in your family and to not just play defense, but to play offense in their life and start positioning them in the right place. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.